Okay, well, by way of introduction, I will do kind of a, a similar mock. We'll just pretend like this is a giant discipleship group since um, Brant just teed us up for that. So I'll tell you my name. Uh, I'll tell you how long I've been here and a little bit about my family. And then I'll tell you one thing my Instagram feed tells you about me. Okay. Uh, so my name is Jeremy Kemp. Uh, we have been here for a year. Moved here like a week ago last February. Uh, so we are starting to now finally feel like this is, you know, a little bit more of our place. Uh, we love the Creve Hall neighborhood. We love, we're kind of growing in our rootedness there. Neighborhood is very important to us. Community is very important to us. Uh, so my wife's name's Sarah. We've got three kids. They're 12, 10, and 8. And uh, so we were in the throes of like middle school math homework. If any, can I get an amen from, is anybody? Thank you. Solidarity. Um, so that's a little bit about my life. And here's one thing that my Instagram feed tells you about me. I love this idea of the van life. Are you familiar with the van life? Has your Instagram algorithm ever brought you content about the van life? Here's what it is in case you're not familiar. Um, my Instagram feed is constantly sending me these uh, images and videos of converted VW buses and uh, school buses that are called schoolies of, uh, you know, like conversion vans or trucks, semi-trucks, all kinds of things that have been converted into these portable living situations. And there's, they're always like parked in exotic locations and the back hatch is flown up and you see like there's mountains or there's a beach and they're camping there and there's a fire and they're hanging out and everyone's like cool and having fun. And I was like, I'm cool and want to have fun. And so I bit. And so if you look at what I drove up in, I've got a truck with, I, I didn't convert the whole thing, uh, but I've got a camper, you know, top tent on top of my truck. There was something about that that was so wooing to me that I bit. Now I'm here as a confession uh, for that as well, because there's something that, yes, that's very alluring about this. And I don't think it's just me. I think there's something about our culture right now that sort of is wooed to the idea of getting a, breaking free, of getting out of the norm, of working from wherever, of doing what you want to do when you want to do it, of financial freedom. But I, I can't help but also be sort of skeptical about my own heart and about maybe the, the sway of our culture in that too. Because what do we really want to get away from? Let me turn this around. What do I really want to get away from? Is it middle school math homework? It might be. Because there is something just as wooing about getting out there and the adventure of it. There's also something wooing about escaping what is currently around me. There is something very wooing about not having to think about all the difficult parts of my life and only being able to embrace the glory and the adventure that is out there. But we've seen how this can go sour. Like in the news headlines over the past couple of years, we have seen how this can be used as a chance to run away from something, not run to something, even spiraling into cases of murder even. There's something inside the human soul that loves to break free from human constructs, from limits, from rules. There's something about us that loves to be our own person, define our own reality, and go our own way. My question to us this morning is, is that healthy? I would say yes and no. 
because we've been in this series uh, for the past number of weeks, slowly walking. It's been a really slow walk through Genesis 1, Genesis 2. It's going to pick up a little bit more in the next coming weeks. But the title of this series is Back Where I Began, The Search for Meaning in the Book of Genesis. Because if there's one thing we know to be true of our humanity and our common humanity together is we are always on the search for meaning. And so, so far, we've answered questions like, where did the world come from? That's a helpful question to have an answer to because that begins to give meaning to what is my place in that world. Where did the world come from? Genesis 1 says that God spoke it into existence. What are, uh, why did the world exist? Why did he speak it into existence? Because he delighted in it. Genesis 1 is sort of this poetic song lilting along, let it be, let it be, let it be, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. What are we doing here? Given royal dominion to rule and subdue this creation that God has delightfully spoken into existence. Now he places you and I, humanity, in this world to keep it and to cultivate it. And so this is why I think there is a part of that sort of van life ideal. I don't think I have to take the tent off the top of my truck. I may have to get there, and y'all can be a part of my accountability group now. But there is something good about adventure. There's something good about sort of breaking off a chunk of creation and doing something with it. There's something good about the creative work that you do. There's something good about the organizing work into an Excel spreadsheet that you do. There's a royal dominion that we have been given, but today's question is, if that's what we're sort of created for, that's what's in the fiber of our being, is this adventure to take this beautiful creation and make something out of it, then why do we feel so limited? Why do we have so many dreams and yet so few of them actually come to fruition? Does that resonate? Because if I, if I was made to rule and subdue and conquer the earth, then why do I have to sleep and eat and do homework? Why are there so many limits and constraints on me when all I want to do is go have some fun? That doesn't feel very regal. That doesn't feel very royal. That feels kind of pathetic. So we're going to jump into Genesis 2 and try to answer that question of why do we feel so limited and how do we live within those limits in a healthy way that still gets after what we're created for, okay? So uh, in case you wanted to know, everyone whose name uh, up here starts with a J today, so uh, we'll go ahead and invite another J name up to read our passage for us. This is Jay. <laughs> hey, Jay. This is Genesis 2, verses 4 through 17, the creation of man and woman. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Thanks, Jay. So here's where we're going. Two points, because... I got to get out of here and go to Creefall. Uh, the first is the reality of limits. So, like, let's settle in and say, figure out what does this passage say about what are the constraints on our humanity, commonly. But secondly, what is the royalty in those limits? What is the goodness? What is the invitation in those limits? Okay, the reality and the royalty. Of limits. I mean, first, it's helpful to always, as we're kind of jumping into these massive topics in this book that we may have read, a joke uh, that I've made a couple of times. This is great. You can go to other congregations and make the same joke, and it'll be funny again because this congregation hadn't heard it. But it's the idea that, like, you know, this may be some of the most familiar passages in the whole of Scripture because every time you've tried to start a Bible reading plan, it'll start here. And then you get to like Genesis 3 or some of the genealogy parts a little bit further along and then it starts to drag and then you're done. So you may be very familiar with this passage or this may be the first time. Either way, it's easy to jump into this and have a ton of questions about what this actually means. Because didn't we just hear an account of creation and now all of a sudden it like resays everything but some of the orders are a little bit different and like does that mean that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 conflict can I trust these accounts so let me just do a very short excursus a little pull out of that uh, that question of what is going on here why are we saying essentially the same thing again Thankfully, Genesis 2 was included because Genesis 1 is this like 30,000 foot flyover, a Godward perspective on the creation of all things. Now, Genesis 2 comes from a different angle. So this is not, uh, as some critical scholars have said, this is not sort of a second telling in a way that conflicts with Genesis 1. This is not a different story or a different account. This is the same account, but instead of a Godward perspective, you now have a manward perspective. You have the experiential perspective of what, is, what was it like on the ground as God was creating all things. It also begins to hone in a little bit more. This is not only talking, this is not talking about the creation of all things. Now it zooms in to only talk about the creation of one particular space and actually has more to do with its cultivation language. Because in Genesis 1, everything is the earth, the earth, the earth, talking about the whole thing. Now it starts to use words, you'll notice that even in the English, it's translated different. 
the land, the ground. These are more cultivation-type languages, more place, temporalness language as opposed to cosmic. So the image that's being brought here is sort of God stooping down and drawing a circle in the creation that he had just made. And in that circle, he begins to get his hands dirty. And you'll see uh, what he gets his hands dirty with here in a second. So does that make sense? Not so much a cosmic downward God-sized direction, but more of an experiential manward direction. Um, Three things then that this tells us, this passage tells us about the reality of our limits, the, hum- the humanity that we live within, these bodies that are ours, in what ways are we constrained according to this passage? And that's both good news and it may be hard news. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from dust, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The word for dust here is dust. I was kind of disappointed by that because I wanted it to be more like, and the Lord God took mountain and then he made man. But it's literally not even the word for like solid mud. It's the word for like desert sand, dusty particles that would fly out of your hand with a breath. But the Lord does something very unique with that dust. It says that he, he stooped down and formed that dust into a human. And then he took that human, and instead of doing something that could very easily disintegrate that form, he instead animates that form. This is an account of the creation of man. So if you're familiar with the worship song came out, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, it's your breath in my lungs. And we pour out our praise, pour out our praise, it's your, right? That's, that's where that came from. This idea that every breath that is sustaining you right now, in a sense, is being given to you and taken back from the Lord given to you and taken back from the Lord. And at any moment, he could take that back and leave it. Every heartbeat is sustained by the Lord. Every sunrise and sunset, he delights every morning to say rise and every evening to say set. Everything still is done with that kind of handiwork from God. And he could have picked any element to make us out of. And he chose dust. Like the same thing that you make your kids make mud pies in when it rains outside. The same thing that bricks that build buildings and pottery that gets thrown on a stone. So it is that mankind was made up of that same material. That's maybe a lot of things, but at least humbling. It levels the playing field a little bit of our self-conception to think about we are that contingent. Not only are we contingent in our livelihood, secondly, uh, we are temporal. If you look at verse 8, 
And then God planted the garden in Eden in the east. Maybe there's a correlation there. East, holler. It took, that's okay. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And so I just have in my mind's eye that the Lord, he creates this man and he's kind of holding him in his God-sized hand and then he cultivates this place for him to live and in a sense drops him into it. This very similarly uh, is some of the wording that Acts 17 verse 26 uses. This is Paul preaching to the Athenians. This is how he describes how God made all things. And he says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. This day, February 26th, in East Nashville, he chose for this group of people to be at this particular place at this particular time, for you to have your particular family background, your particular family of origin, your particular structure, friend group all around you, your particular job, as much as you may hate that job. He has placed you in that place. That is how purposeful he still works with his hands today. Now, here's what's glorious about this. If you look, uh, and Jay did an amazing job at getting all of the, like, how do you say B and D together? You nailed it, delium or whatever that is. There's all of this stone that is in the ground. And so he not only cultivates a place for us to live, but he puts in that place the, everything that we will need to build the greatest city. Gold. Ore. Onyx. He puts these things in the ground. Why? Because in the same way he created, we create. We cultivate these things. He's given us all of this raw material. Just, just think about this. We talked about rest last week. Just rest your heart in this glory today. Think about this. Wheat plus tomatoes plus salt plus milk equals pizza. Like, but here's the thing. He's given us all of that to cultivate all of the amazing restaurants that are around here. If you dial all of those back, take all of those ingredients to their origin, where did they come from? They came from this place that God made. He's amazing. And yet, he gave you one mouth and one stomach. He gave all of this glory, and yet he gave you this limited ability to consume. Ugh. Do you feel that living over here? Because every time I come over here, I drove past, there's like some sort of service station looking thing that has like these little taco joints or something that you can pull into maybe and they bring it to your car like Sonic. Is that how that works? I'm new here. But there's so many fun places around here. There's so much more to eat than you have the money or the time or the bandwidth to do. There's glory in that, but there's also limit. Finally, we are moral. So we're fragile, we're temporal, and we're moral. Verse 16 and 17, and the Lord God commanded them, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat it, you shall surely die. 
the, the shortest way to say this is that if God created us, then it's his prerogative to also tell us what to do. Have you ever owned a Lego set? Kids in the room, do you like Legos? There you go. I see a hand. Hand in the back. I had, uh, we had a, I was an only child, so I had a lot of time on my hand. And uh, we had a ping pong table in our basement. And under that ping pong table, I had constructed this giant Lego castle set. And it was as far as the eye could see from left to right with Lego castles. It was my dominion. I made it. And those Legos did exactly what I wanted them to do at all times. There is a sense in which we have been created by this creator. And so as his creature, we then do what he tells us. And that follows suit in every other endeavor of our own creation. But here's where it gets tricky. Because we're not Legos and we're not robots. God, we are made in his image. So we are different than the animals in that we have been given choice. We've been given volition. We've been given not just to follow every whim, but we have been made to conquer our whims and bring them in a particular direction for the dominion of the entire earth. God's command here leaves his people with a moral choice, a moral obligation to live within their limits and not do what he tells them not to do and do what he tells them to do. Now notice what percentage of creation does he give his people to enjoy? Like 99.8%. And this point, whatever math, 2% that he gives us and says, don't do this, but enjoy all of this. And yet we see that 0.2% and go, ooh, but there's something in that 0.2%. Then I bet it's good. And I bet he's holding out on me. This is the reality of our limits. Does this sound like good news or bad news? Shout out, good news or bad news? Bad news, man, thank you for being honest. Hey, amen. It is good and it is bad, isn't it? Because there is royalty in this. Uh, there, is, there is language that is pulsating with purpose and meaning and value in this to be fragile and temporal and moral and constrained. Let me ask it like this. Does the speed limit feel like good news or bad news? <laughs> We're getting participation now. Yeah. Uh, I had nine speeding tickets before I got married. And then that ninth one I brought home to my newly wedded wife, and she cried. And she wasn't mad, but she was concerned. And she said, will you please stop? Because here's what she knew, and here's what the Department of Transportation knows. At 40 miles per hour, the risk of serious injury in a car accident is 15%. At 50 miles an hour, the risk of serious injury in a car accident is 59%. At 55 miles per hour, the risk of serious injury in a car accident is 78%. In a 15 mile per hour difference, that jumps like 60%. There is something about our limits that living in them creates flourishing. 
living in the order that we were created in actually helps us to thrive where internally we believe it is actually the opposite of thriving. Because the human body wasn't made to travel that fast. And so there's safety measures and there's guards and those are circles that God places around our lives. What are the circles that God has placed around your life? What are the limits right now that you feel this like desire to just break free of and then I'll be happy? Because here's what we know. We know that it is very true, the old saying, the grass is always greener. But isn't that true in your heart? The grass is always greener. God, I know you've given me this group of friends, but if I just had that one person who really got me, who, who really understood me, then I could be happy. I know you've given me this house, but if I could have about 100K for a renovation, that would be super. Uh, I know you've made me 40 years old almost, but if I could still run and jump like I was 20, that'd be way cool. I know you've given me this marriage, but that person over there looks real interesting. What are the limits that he has placed around you? And in what ways are those good news? But how has your heart turned those into bad news? Because the way that mankind was, have you ever wondered like what's going on with this tree of good and evil thing? And the tree of life? Notice what God says we can and can't do. In the beginning, God says you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't say anything about the tree of life. As long as we stayed away from the tree of good and evil, the tree of life was ours. Eternal life. The reason why death is such a counterintuitive uh, thing to our conception of life and to the, our culture even, and there's all these ways that now we try to just pretend like it doesn't exist, because it goes against who we were created to be, because in the original creation, we were meant to live forever, to eat from that tree, not of that one. The way we were meant to learn the difference between right and wrong is by choosing the right and walking away from the wrong, by listening to God more and more growing in the wisdom of what is and what isn't, of what do I spend my time doing and what don't I. But instead, the way that we learned the difference between good and evil is we felt evil. We tasted evil, and it felt good. And so in the same way now that Adam tasted that, having this free moral choice, and he tasted evil and went that direction, now we can't help it. Because in the same way that Acts 17 says everybody came from Adam, so one of the things that we inherited is this sin nature that he has. And so we can't help but choose evil now. We are not given the same free choice in the same way that Adam was. But... There is renewal that is possible. There is renewal into our humanity that we were originally made that is possible even on this side of the new heavens and the new earth. Because Adam broke free from his limits, we can't help it. So somebody had to break the cycle 
of sin and death, of walking away from God instead of walking towards him. Someone who was fragile and temporal and morally bound had to live in our skin and do what we couldn't do for ourselves. Does this remind you of anyone? Now the good news can begin. Because what we know to be true of this Jesus, who we are gathered here to learn more and worship today, is when he uses the word son of man, that's one of his favorite designations for himself, all that that word means is, I'm a guy. Just like you. Yeah, I'm God. I'm also a guy. And all those same things that you feel, I feel. All of the fragility of life, I feel. It was possible for this, this God-man to die. And he lived in a particular place at a particular time. He was not Jesus from heaven. He was Jesus from Nazareth. And he was then free again, living not from the line of Adam, but from the line of God, free again to choose between good and evil. Tempted his entire life, yet without sin. You hear him say over and over and over again, I love to do the will of my father. This is him walking away from that tree, from living into the moral obligations and boundaries that you and I are made to live into. God had to do it for us. And so he lives within these created limits his entire life. And that should have given him access to the tree of life, but what kind of tree did it give him access to? We got a cross back there? There it is. It gave him access to this tree of death on a cross. But here's what he did. This is now our new tree of life. The way to eternal life is now through this. The way to refreshing, the way to reliving in the way that we were created to be is through this. The way is through repentance and saying all of those things that you love to break, all of those ways that you just so want to break free from the constraints that God has put you in and say, I'm sorry. I did it again. I did it again. I did it again. And because this was not the end of his story, but the resurrection was the end of his story, now that same spirit that lived in him that allowed him to morally live within those constraints for all of those years is now given to you in the Holy Spirit. And you have a new ability to live in the limits that you were created and a new ability now to flourish. Not perfectly. Not till he comes back or we go to be with him, but you have a new ability now to flourish. That's the invitation for you this morning. So, to close up, um, my first church in Atlanta that I worked at for a couple of years just out of school, uh, Paul Tripp is a pastor, author, speaker, and uh, he did a lot of speaking, especially at that time, about parenting. And he gave this image that still sticks with me today. Uh, he said, think of it like this. God has put this entire life, and he was talking about kids, but so kids, God has put all of these boundaries around you. Don't you love boundaries? Don't you love rules? And 
Yet what we see in our children and shoot, what we see in ourselves, if this is the fence that God has placed around us, we live our entire lives like pressed up against that fence. And it's like straining to get our hand through the little thing in the chain link. And all we wind up with is a bunch of marks on our face and some tattered wrists. We spend so much time thinking about what's good out there. We have so lost what's good in the circle. God has given you your family, your house, your neighborhood, your school, your body, your abilities to enjoy within their created limits. Stop looking over the fence, through the fence, at that Instagram life that you so wish you had. Because guess what? It's not real anyways. Where are you most dissatisfied that God has placed you right now? Where's a place that you find yourself consistently saying, if, if just this would change in my life, then I could be happy. Right now, this is a moment that God has offering you and me, because I got them too, to lay those down and to come here for your life instead. To constantly source your life from here, not from out there, but from his satisfaction over you, but from his call to pick up your cross and bear it from his easy yoke and his light burden that he has given in the constraints of your normal everyday life. So the practice of gratitude might be one thing to walk away with. What if you spent two minutes a day at the end or the beginning of your day for the next week and just tried to make a list, either in your mind or on a piece of paper if you're a journaler, what are things that I'm thankful for? What are things that I'm grateful for that God has given me in the boundaries? What are things that are gifts to me that I will so quickly gloss over? And what you'll find, the more that that habit begins to take place, the more that that cultivates a heart that follows that habit. There may be more things, but that's at least one. Let me pray. So, Father, we ask that you would do something in us that we can't do ourselves. Our dominion muscle is broken. We, we want everything instead of just what you've given us. We want the whole world and we would forfeit our soul for it. So we pray that our hearts would be set aright in Christ again. That Holy Spirit, you would help us more and more with the heart of Jesus pulsating in us to live a life that becomes a follower of Christ, to live a life of glory in the limits, to live a life that rests one day every seven, to live a life that sleeps well because we're not pent up with all of this anxiousness about what might be, to know that you are the author of the circle. Help our heart to rest. And help us to pick up whatever glory you have given us and to flourish there. Would East flourish because of this common 
goal that you have given them to bring the gospel to this part of the city? Would they collectively pick this work up and would we see you flourish in it? We pray all this in Christ. Amen.